Section 27 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shashank Jakmola. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section 27. The Hagling Legend 3. Gudrun. King Hetel and Fair Hilde lived happily at Maitlane, and the men of Hegling, Freysland, and Datemarsh were faithful subjects, out of love and gratitude for the justice and protection afforded them by their liege lord. Two children were born to the royal pair, Ortwin and Gudrun, both of whom were strong and blooming as Nordland roses. As the boy grew older, he was given into the charge of the hero of Sturmland, that he might learn all that it became him to know from the greatest warrior in the land. Gudrun remained at home with her parents, and was instructed by her mother, both by precept and example, in all woman's work and knowledge. So she grew up, and became celebrated in every land for her beauty, her gentleness, and her wisdom. Many noble princes came to woo her while she was yet very young. Among them was the proud Moorish king, Siegfried, gigantic in height and brown of hue. With many kings for tributaries, he felt himself so great that he feared no refusal. Queen Hilde, however, thought the hero too arbitrary in his manners and ignorant of the proper way to treat women. Hetel was of the same opinion, so he told the wooer that the maiden was too young to be able to conduct a royal household. The Moorish king returned to his distant realm in great anger and disgust. But before leaving Maitlane, he had bribed some faithless men with gold to keep him informed of all that went on in the land of the Haglings. Now, at this time, King Ludwig ruled over Normandy and the neighbouring lands. He was a great and warlike king. His son, Hartmut, was like his father in character, and helped him in his wars. When the latter heard of Gudrun, he determined to woo her for his wife. King Ludwig thought it a mistake because the maiden's grandfather, Hagen, had once been his feudal superior and had never forgiven him for having freed Normandy from the Irish yoke. Also, he believed that Queen Hilde had inherited her father's temper. The Lady Gerland, Ludwig's queen, was of a different opinion. She thought that Hartmut was worthy of the noblest wife in Christendom and that, if they only set about the matter in the right way, his offer would be accepted. The young warrior was pleased with his mother's counsel, so ambassadors were sent to the Hegling court, bearing rich presents. Queen Hilde accepted the gifts with gracious courtesy, thanked the ambassadors for bringing them, and added that she supposed the lord of Normandy wished to pay off an old debt which he owed her father as his liege lord. The warriors were kindly treated, although the king and the queen heard their message with displeasure and said that the husband of their daughter must be of higher birth than the lord of Normandy. The ambassadors, seeing that no good would come of their further stay, returned to Ludwig with their evil tidings. The Norman king was not much surprised at the result of the embassy, but the Lady Gerland, whose ancestors had been powerful kings, shaved under the affront, and advised her son to avenge the insult with his sword. But the young prince had thought of another plan, he possessed strongholds and grangers in Scotland, so he determined to go avowing himself in Scottish garb, accompanied by a large train of attendants. He was a hero, 
learned in all knightly duties, tall, manly, and strikingly handsome. He was accustomed to ladies' smiles and to meet with kindness from women wherever he went. So he never for a moment doubted his power of winning the love of the Princess Gudrun. The ships were manned, a favorable wind filled the sails, but soon fell again and the voyage was a very slow one. Meanwhile, another suitor had arrived at Maitlane. This was bold Herwig, Lord of Zealand. He was a brave warrior, celebrated in many a victory, a faithful friend and loyal foe. Fair curls surrounded his face, and his blue eyes shone with intelligence. The maiden and he soon learned to understand each other, and before a word of love was spoken, each knew the other's feelings. When Hartmut arrived, in the guise of a Scottish prince, he soon discovered what was going on. A favourable chance led Hartmut to the garden one day, and there he found Gudrun alone. He told her of his love, and at the same time explained who he was. She was startled, but soon recovering herself, answered that she cared for someone else. She further told him to beware how he betrayed his identity, for her father and mother regarded King Ludwig as a vassal, and his life would be in danger if they knew his name and quality. The word vassal brought an angry flush to the young hero's cheeks. He did not, however, betray his feelings, but took leave of the maid in seemly fashion, and, after saying farewell to the king and queen, set sail for his own land. Herwig lingered on at the palace in the hope that he might find some opportunity of seeing and speaking to the princess alone. But, whether by accident or because the queen prevented it, he never found his opportunity. So he went boldly to the king and made a formal offer for Gudrun's hand. Hetel listened to him calmly and told him that the maiden was too young to marry. This, however, was merely an excuse, for he really thought the king of Zealand was too poor a match for his peerless daughter. Herwig found no rest at home. He assembled his forces and prepared to invade the land of the Hagelings. His army only consisted of 3,000 warriors, but they were one and all tried men of valour, on whom he could rely. Hetel was totally unprepared for the invasion. His heroes were at their own homes or scattered abroad, but he collected what men he could and went out against the foe. Soon the clang of arms sounded on the strand, and the battle began. It raged fiercely for a long time. At length, Queen Hilde, taking Gudrun with her, and followed by her ladies, descended to the place of combat, and spoke so wisely that she soon induced the men to put up their weapons and make peace. Hetel was so much pleased with the boldness and valour displayed by Herwig, that he consented to receive him as his son-in-law, but stipulated that the marriage should not take place for a year. Herwig spent some time at Maitlane in company with certain other warriors, and at midsummer, young Ortwin and several of his friends received their swords at the hand of old Wait of Sturmland, who bade them act in all things so as to be soon worthy of the honour of knighthood. At the jousts that followed, the young men's prowess gladdened their teacher's heart but the rejoicings came to a sudden end through the arrival of some wounded men from Zealand, who brought news that the Moorish king, Siegfried, had fallen upon the island and was laying the country waste. Hetel determined to send troops to help Herwig against the Moors, but the king of Zealand would not wait until they could be summoned. He set out at once, saying that they could follow, and he would meantime go and show his people that he had not deserted them. Herwig landed in a small bay, 
His heart was wrung when he saw the devastation caused by the cruel moor, and he knew that he was not strong enough to offer him battle. But he was not idle for all that. He and his three thousand followers separated into companies, cut off isolated bands of freebooters, and harassed the enemy as much as they could. So matters went on for days and weeks. At length, the Hegling fleet arrived with Hetel and his heroes. A great battle was fought by sea and land, but although the Moors suffered terrible loss, both in men and ships, it was by no means a decisive battle. Siegfried knew that he had now no hope of winning the victory in open war, but still he trusted to the chapter of accidents to get him out of his difficulties, and he did not hope in vain. Whilst King Hetel and his heroes were fighting in Zealand, Hartmut, with a large Norman army, had fallen upon the land of the Hagelings. Ludwig had accompanied his son. Together they had stormed the palace at the head of the men, had taken it and had carried away the Princess Gudrun and her maidens, amongst whom was Hildberg, granddaughter of that Hildberg whom Hagen found on the Griffin Strand. The first messenger, who brought the news of the Norman invasion, was soon followed by a second, with tidings of the storming of the castle and the carrying off of Gudrun. The first thought in every mind was to set off in pursuit of the robbers. King Hedel sent to offer terms to Siegfried, telling him at the same time of what had chanced, and the Moorish king immediately offered to help to rescue the princess, so an alliance was concluded between Hetel, Herwig, and Siegfried without more ado. This being settled, they turned their attention to the ships. But great was their despair when they found that most of them had been burnt in the fight, and of those that remained, very few were seaworthy. Herwig and his men would have started alone in the few vessels that remained, but Eirold the Frisian stopped them by drawing their attention to a fleet that was already approaching the shore. The masts and flags of the coming ships all bore the signs of the cross, and on deck were figures in long grey garments, with the staff of peace in their hands. They are pilgrims going to the Holy Sepulchre, said Horan the minstrel. The pilgrims disembarked and pitched their tents on the strand to enjoy a little rest after their long and toilsome voyage. Necessity knows no law, said Wait. These pious men must put off their journey for a little. They have plenty of time to do their penance in. Let us borrow their vessels and provisions. If we return, we can reward them richly for the enforced loan. Horrend and Fruit warned their friends that such a deed would surely bring its punishment. The pilgrims raised their hands in piteous entreaty, all in vain. King Hetel decided to take the ships, and Wait and Herwig voted with him. So the heroes sailed over the high seas in pursuit of the Normans in ships that bore the cross as their pennon. After many days sail, they saw before them a low flat island called Volpensand, and on it a great army was encamped upon whose banner was depicted a raven with widespread wings, the ensign of the Normans. They were able to get quite close to the land, thanks to the pilgrims' ships, before their real character was discovered. But no sooner was it known, than the Normans sprang to their feet, and shouting their battle cry, stood ready to defend themselves. The battle began. Lances and arrows filled the air, and many a deed of desperate valour was done on either side. Darkness alone put an end to the fight. The victory was undecided. It was a dark and cloudy night, and the flickering watchfires alone threw any light upon the scene. Then it was the King Hetel challenged Ludwig to single combat, 
telling him that he should always regard him as a coward if he did not at once arm him for the fray. Ludwig accepted the challenge and came out to meet the king. Many a shrewd blow did the heroes exchange before Ludwig at length gave his adversary his death wound. Seeing their leader fall, the Higlings rushed forward shouting their battle cry and a general engagement took place in the darkness. None could tell friend from foe and many a brave warrior fell under his comrade's spear. The leaders on either side ordered the horns to blow the recall and the two armies took up their position at a greater distance from each other than before. Knowing the vengeance the Haglings would take on the following day, the Normans thought prudence the better part of valour and set sail for home under cover of the night, taking their prisoners with them, for they were on their way home from Hegelingland. At daybreak, old Wade called his men to be up and doing. Great was the astonishment of all when they found their enemy flown. Wade and Herwig were keen to follow the Normans without loss of time, but Frut and Murung advised them to be prudent. They reminded them of the numbers of men they had lost, and advised that they should go home and wait till the young men who were growing up should be old enough to bear arms. The wisdom of this advice was recognized by all. Hedwig alone felt indignant, but he was powerless to act unaided, so he returned to Zealand to work for his people until the time should come to renew the expedition. Queen Hildy was sad at heart when she saw the Haglings return vanquished and without either her husband or daughter. But what could she do? She was only a weak woman, unable to wield a sword, to arrange Hetel, or to save Gudrun. Horand, Morung, and Eirald mourned the dead king with her, but old Wade child them for women, and bade them rouse themselves, and teach the youth of the land all warlike accomplishments, to the end that they might win the day when the time for vengeance came. End of section 27